Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Getting Technology Right Ethics and Technology Podcast with Dr. Kevin Magnish. Get ready for a conversation about global values and technology, diversity and inclusion, discrimination, transparency in data, privacy, and cybersecurity. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, and welcome to Getting Tech Right, the podcast about ethics and technology. So my name is Kevin McNish, and with me today is Ravi Dotan, a technology ethics specialist uh, focusing on AI and a researcher at the University of Pittsburgh. She's been named as one of the 100 brilliant women in AI ethics in 2023 by Women in AI Ethics. And last year, 2022, she received a Distinguished Paper Award from FACT, the top AI ethics conference. Uh, and today is joining me to talk about ethics and AI. So, Ravit, welcome. Hi, Kevin. It's really great to be here. And thank you for this lovely intro. Oh, pleasure. Well, it was a very brief introduction. So perhaps could you flesh out a little bit more? Because I know that you're involved in so much in the field of AI ethics. And what I said just scratches the surface. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do a number of different things. Uh, so I wear multiple professional hats. I do academic research at the University of Pittsburgh. I run an AI ethics lab. We're focusing on the governance of AI. So the question is, what does it even mean for tech companies to govern their AI in a responsible way? And how do other actors in the ecosystem can support them, such as investors, procurement teams, insurance companies, I think they all need to get into the AI ethics game. And the question is how? Mm -hmm. um, and in with my academic hat, I'm doing research to figure that out. So that's one aspect of my activity. And then I'm also active in the private sector. That's where I hands-on just work with all of those actors, tech companies, investors. What do we actually do? You know, roll up the sleeves, get to work. Um, and then I, I do a lot of advocacy and awareness raising. So all of that happens on my LinkedIn page and on my website. So anyone, uh, please connect. Excellent. Thank you. We'll make sure that your LinkedIn page and website are featured in the show notes as well. So if people want to get in touch afterwards, they're very welcome to do that. Thank you. So I wanted to start off because there's been so much talk about AI ethics I, from my perspective over the last four or five years, but really since November with ChatGPT, and then last month, GPT-4. So start off with a couple of questions. Firstly, do you think you could spell out the difference between AI, machine learning, and large language models? And then secondly, do you think that AI poses new ethical problems? Or do you think it just poses old ethical problems in a new package? Okay, controversial questions. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah. What is the definition of AI? Um, there are many definitions of AI. There's no consensus. There's no agreement. Um, also, what is the difference between AI and machine learning? Again, you'll hear different voices. Um, I'll tell you the approach that I uh, am most familiar with. So machine learning is a subset of AI. It is 
uh, one of the categories of AI. Other categories are, say, uh, robotics. So machine learning would be, quote unquote, the brain of the AI. It would be the thing that does the learning, quote unquote, uh, the inference making. Whereas other branches of AI, for example, robotics, do other things like let's get a thing to move. Um, so that's one lens on it. So AI is kind of the umbrella term that could contain many other um, subfields. That's one way to to look at it. And then, okay, but look, what is AI? What is machine learning? Um, again, many definitions. Um, I'll just give two versions of definitions. I think that's what I'm going to do to uh, escape making a decision. <laughs> um, so there was a really interesting study a few years ago trying to explain how policymakers define AI versus how computer scientists define AI. And I find this uh, difference interesting. So according to this study, it was 2019, so things might have changed. But um, so policymakers think of AI as something that mimics humans in some way. So it either thinks like a human or behaves like a human, whereas computer scientists tend to think of AI as something that is rational or ideal. So it would think rationally slash ideally, or it would behave rationally slash ideally. Um, but basically in all in all of the definitions, it's 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 a computer program. It's it's software at the end of the day um, that um, gets some goals defined for it, and then finds a way to accomplish those goals with much less direction from people than other kinds of software. Okay, thank you. So that sounds like quite a radical difference then between how policymakers and how computer scientists are approaching the same phrase. Yes, exactly. And that paper also mentioned that this difference is actually one of the barriers for mm. actually making progress because those who make the technology and those who regulate it might not understand it in the same way. Having said that, this was 2019, not now. Um, there have been some progress, especially in the context of the EUAI Act. So that is the law that the European Union is working on to regulate AI specifically. A part of that regulation is also defining what it is that it's trying to regulate. Um, and so that has been an opportunity for many conversations about how we understand it, how we should define it. And I do think that some progress was made. So. Excellent. Okay. So the AI Act, even though it's a European thing, which we're, we're still waiting for it to come into effect. Is, I keep hearing it's going to be later this month. And I've heard that for several months now. <laughs> um, that, that, that's still influencing discussions in America and elsewhere then? Yes. Um, so yeah, I'll expand on the EUAI Act a little bit uh, for people who are not as familiar. So the EUAI Act, as, as, as I mentioned before, is a, a regulation effort that the EU is making. And um, when it passes, and everyone is confident that it will, and the estimates that I am hearing is maybe the beginning of 2024, where it will pass into law, but then there would be some grace period uh, until, you know, companies are expected to comply. Um, yeah, so that law divides AI technologies into risk categories. So the top risk is called unacceptable risk. All applications that fall into this category are just going to be prohibited in the European Union or anyone that wants, that wants to work with them. 
one category below is high risk. So these are technologies that are you know, high potential of risk, um, education, healthcare, law enforcement. These are going to be allowed, but there's going to be a lot of regulation on what the companies that develop them should do. And uh, one category below is what's called minimal risk sometimes, although it's a bad name. Um, but chatbots such as ChatGPT are going to go into that category. They have really, really minimal limitations on them. And then everything else is, is just not going to be regulated. So that's the structure of the law. And it is passed by the EU. So naturally, it applies to the European Union. However, um, it does, as you mentioned, have an impact on other countries because it it applies to anyone who wants to do business <laughs> with the EU. So that's, that's large portions of the world. And a, there was a similar law that passed a few years ago, GDPR, which is a law about privacy. Even though technically it applies only to the EU, it had a global impact. And uh, there's an expectation that something similar would happen with this EU AI Act. So definitely there's an expectation of global um, of global influence, including the U.S. Um, and I also haven't answered all of your questions from before about large language models and where that thing fits in. And there was another question uh, that I'll I come forgot. back to that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Go on to the large language models. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Should I should I talk about the large language? Yeah. Go for it. So, yeah. Okay, so a large language model is um, a type of AI slash machine learning. Machine learning slash AI algorithms can do many different things. For example, they can make predictions. They can give them many photos of cats and dogs, and they will figure out when I give them a new photo, which one is the photo of a cat and which one is a photo of a dog. So that's classification. That's a task that a machine learning model can do. There are different kinds of tasks. A different kind of task is trying to understand language, right? So if I only tell you half of the sentence, try to figure out what's going to be the next, what's the second half. Um, or recording my voice and uh, transcribing it. That's another task that the machine learning model can do. Um, so these are language models. Uh, they're called large, I think, because um, I don't want to get too technical here. Um, <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is they're processing natural language, speaking or text. That's what they do, which is different from other kinds of tasks. But it is a kind of machine learning model um, slash AI. Right. Okay. Thanks. So yeah. So so the other question which I had for you. So that's a really helpful breakdown. Thank you. But yeah, the other question, which was I think the more controversial one, was whether you think that AI poses new ethical problems, or whether it's just old oh, yes, yes, problems yes. repackaged. Which I think is it's probably an old question within tech ethics generally. But it's always good to get your opinion on it. No, I love this question. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think AI creates new ways to create familiar harms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in a way, it's old and new. Uh, <laughs> That's good, but can you can you flesh that one out then? That's that's a, a good yeah. answer. Well, how do you mean? Yeah. Okay. I'll give an example. Um, another great paper that I've read about um, discrimination in mortgage loans. Um, so we have a problem in the world. The mortgage loans, loans in general, are not. There's a lot of discrimination in approving those loans. Um, we would like to have less discrimination. <laughs> 
Um, so a paper actually tried to see what happens if we use AI models to, to make those decisions. And so it started with just um, trying to quantify discrimination currently, present discrimination when it comes to mortgage loans in the U.S. And they found out that people who are Black are 54% less likely to have their loan approved relative to someone who is just the same, except not Black. Mm-hmm. That is a horrible statistic. That is terrible because mortgage loans, buying a house is really, really important for social mobility. It's a really, it's a really important loan to get right. And yet we do not. Um, that is the current reality. That is a present harm that already exists. But what happens when you put AI into the mix? Um, it becomes worse. <laughs> so what they did, yep. What they did in the paper is let's take all the data that we have about mortgage loan applications and actually run it through an off-the-shelf AI system and see what happens. What happens is that it's discrimination becomes 67% instead of 54%. Right. So we have an old harm that we knew, discrimination in mortgage loans, but now we're magnifying it. Mm-hmm. So we know this harm, but once we introduce AI into the mix, it just becomes really, really intensified. Some people think that fairness issues with AI are kind of garbage in, garbage out, but often it's not going to be the case. It's going to be like garbage in, landfill out. It's just becoming much worse. Mm. Um, I'll give another example of um, a problem that we already know, um, the digital divide. Uh, technology is not evenly distributed around the world. People in Western countries have more access to it than people in, say, some African countries. That is a harm that we already know of. We know mm-hmm. it well. It is painful. We are not addressing it. We, we know it. Um, but what happens when AI comes into the scene? It's going to make it much, much worse. Because when you think of countries, um, I think, if I remember the statistics correctly, in Somalia, only 2% of the people have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. That is a limitation. But think of the kids growing up in Somalia, not even having access to the internet and kids growing up in the US having access to ChatGPT. The kind of opportunities that it opens to them are not open to kids in those countries. And it's just magnifying and intensifying, um, you know? So yeah, so these are old harms, but Mm. new ways to bring them about. And also these are ways to bring them about that are uh, potentially more dangerous, more powerful. Right. Okay. No, thank you. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, absolutely. And there, there, there's sort of a, um, yeah, almost a scaling issue. I think when you bring in the automated aspect, whereby you may have one or two individuals who are discriminatory in their practice, but when you have a system which is discriminatory in its practice, um, and and as you say, that sort of those background conditions such as the digital divide, which are just going to be exacerbated. So that brings me on quite nicely then to my next question, which, which is that you know, I said earlier that I we, we've been talking about AI ethics really for about four or five years, maybe a little bit longer. And I think really over that time, we've seen a large number of AI ethics codes that have been published. I can't remember what the latest number is. It's more than 200. But one of the biggest challenges to arise from those lists, and I see this in industry, and I'm sure that you do as well, is that, you know, they, we, we come back to questions like fairness, whether it's garbaging, garbage out or, or, or landfill out, but also transparency, 
privacy, um, yeah, all, all these very nice terms. But it strikes me that the real problem is actually making those real, is operationalizing those those challenges. I know that's one of you, as you've already said, one of your areas of research and consultancy is in helping companies and investors sort of develop AI governance and strategies. So could you tell us a little bit more about how you go about doing that? Yeah, okay. I'll start with the word operationalizing. Mm. That is the word that people use very often in mm. the AI ethics space. They're talking about operationalizing AI ethics. I want to start with this term because I think it illustrates a misconception on how to go about it. Mm. What is this word operationalizing? What is the context that it's coming from? It's not really a day-to-day -day kind of word. Mm -hmm. um, often this word is going to be used in the context of, of coding. When to operationalize something, you want to put it in the algorithm and make sure the algorithm does it. So if you want to operationalize fairness, we're going to code some things into our algorithm so that it's more fair. Um, this perspective really focuses on R&D teams and what the R&D te teams should do. I think this perspective is too limited. Um, there is, I think, sometimes a vision of some engineer in some back room as if we can point to them and say, do better. But it's not, it doesn't work this way. And 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 often when people try stuff like that, it fails because those AI ethics tools, it's easy to perceive them as some like additional, oh, check, oh, now I have to do this thing as well. Um, because the reality is that those engineers are embedded within companies that have priorities, that have KPIs, that have OKRs, we can't just kind of like point to the R&D team and just like tell them you do better as if they're completely isolated from everything else that's happening in the company. So my approach is to think of the unit that we need to change as, as the company as a whole. And I think that teams like marketing, sales, customer success are actually pivotal when it comes to AI ethics because they are the eyes and ears of the company. They're able to notice the needs of the clients and needs of society and actually communicate that to the decision makers so that it does, you know, find its place within the within the prioritization of the company so that it's not just, you know, the ethics team comes to the R&D and it's like, do this. Why? Because I want it. But like, there's no other pressure that the company is facing. So for me, when I think about how to how to make AI ethics a reality, you know, how to implement it, it's to think of the entire company as a whole, how the incentive structure works, how the culture works, because I think otherwise it's just going to be a slap on, you know, a band-aid that's going to be the first thing that's out when there's financial pressures. Um, so that's one point. Another point, just as I think it's a misconception to single out R&D, it's also, I think, a misconception to, to, to single out the tech companies because the tech companies are also not alone. They are embedded in a system of constraints. Um, for example, they're embedded in a financial ecosystem, right? They are investors, buyers like procurement teams, insurance companies. All this system um, supports the tech company financially and it has expectations. It's very, very difficult for the tech company to do things differently when the expectations from the financial supporters are misaligned. Mm. So 
I think that to implement AI ethics, it's not enough to just focus on the tech companies. We need to focus on the entire ecosystem of constraints around them and figure out how we get those financial actors into the game as well. Excellent. Okay, so it's not that it's, and I've got to be careful how I phrase that, it's not that it's not merely, or rather it is not merely a technical problem. It is a, a broader problem which goes out to the, the culture and values of an organization, and then even more broadly than that into the culture and values of the marketplace in which that organization is. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think... Um... I don't want to make it sound, oh, it's a huge problem. How can you like, <laughs> but we've done, we, we've done similar things. Look at ESG, you know, look at climate, those issues that they, they have become, not that it's perfect, uh, but there is awareness to them. Some things are happening. Um, yeah. And I think it's perhaps a matter of changing habits. Mm -hmm. So how, so that, that leads again nicely onto my, my next thought about that is how do you go about changing and challenging those habits? I mean, I can see um, working with individual companies, uh, maybe at the top end uh, of sort of policy, I can see the, the advocacy role. Do you think it is just working across the whole sphere like that? Or is there one area that's really important to focus in on? Hmm. So you mean uh, one area of the ecosystem, one area in terms of, in terms of sector? What do you yeah. Mean? So for instance, you said, you know, it's not just the tech companies and right. absolutely, there are other companies buying the stuff the tech companies are providing. Um, yeah. And so is there uh, a sort of, is there some point that we can focus in on to hit the most valuable or the most effective area? Or is it a like ESG something well I suppose even with ESG you know we, we started out with sustainability I think largely looking at things like oil companies and some of some of those areas before then moving more broadly into the the, the whole marketplace is there something similar within AI ethics okay so I I hope this is going to answer your question I am very hopeful about early stage VCs actually mm -hmm. I think they are a wonderful audience to to try and impact. Um, it's really important what the big companies are doing. However, it's also really difficult for big companies to change. Uh, they do have the money to pay the, to pay the fines. Uh, they do have inertia. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can be really difficult. But the smaller companies um, are easier to influence. They're not set in their ways yet. They do have dependencies on investors. When they grow, they put pressure on the big companies by way of competition. Um, and so if we focus attention on them, I am hopeful that it would have a dent. Um, it's easier for other for other organizations to put expectations on them. When I'm thinking of big tech companies, it could be easy for a big tech company that buys a smaller companies to to put expectations when it comes to responsibility of AI, to put it internal, externally on the companies that it buys, it's easier, I think, to do that than to make a deep change internally. Um, an investor, for example, an investor who's committed to ESG or impact investing, it's already aligned with what they do anyway. So it's a low-hanging fruit. It's it's already aligned. It's your mission anyway. Mm. Um, 
And they're all of those big actors, they're they're actually in a position to support the tech company and give them like the small company to give them resources to grow in a different way. So um I think that's a really promising um avenue to focus on. Yeah, it's a de- definitely an interesting approach. What what do you think? And I would say promising as well. I don't want to <laughs> diminish it by saying it's it's an interesting approach. I think it sounds sounds really good. What do you think would motivate those companies and investors to seek help in developing responsible strategies around their AI? Yeah. Okay. So there are two kinds of motivations. Um, there is a business case for AI ethics. I, I think some people may think of it as something that competes with business interests, um, as if you always have to choose, right? It's either doing the right thing or doing good business. It's not the case. This dichotomy, well, sometimes it's true, but often it's not. And so I'll just mention five um, five things that, you know, make the business case for AI ethics. Let's start with compliance. Uh, the EOI Act is actually one of many <laughs> laws that are coming, <laughs> um, you know, in, in, in various forms. So compliance is an issue. Um, reputation is an issue, especially for a smaller company that cannot take the hit, especially for a smaller investor that cannot take the hit. Um, then we actually have product quality. Um, for various reasons, when you develop your AI in a responsible way, it just becomes a better product. So I'll give an example. Um, suppose you care about explainability. So you want to be able to explain why your tool made the decision that it did. Um, you know, who's the first person who's going to understand it? You, the company. So now you can fix it. <laughs> so now you can have better feedback loops with your, you know, with your end users. So um, also fairness, if you want your system to be fair, what does it mean? For example, it could mean that it works better for more kinds of people. You've increased your client base. Mm. Um, so there are various mechanisms through which developing your AI responsibly just results in better better AI systems. Your product's going to be better. Um, then also we have product adoption and talent. Uh, you know, we've seen many statistics that, that show that when a company company behaves ethically, it improves um, on both of these fronts. And we do have statistics showing that specifically in AI as well. So um, organizations may be interested in um, doing their AI more responsibly because of the business case. Like it does make financial sense. Mm. Having said that, um, sometimes it won't. <laughs> Sometimes they're going to, you know, they are going to have to make a difficult decision. Um, and why will they make that decision really depends on the organization. Sometimes it's because of just the values of the people that are involved. It's just like in responsible innovation, generally, the values of the founder make a huge difference. And it could be the case here, too. Like, and it is, it is, it is a motivation for founders, um, even if it doesn't have any business benefits, which it does. Um and then for investors as well, it could come from just seeing the responsibility that they do have as investors. They have a huge impact on society, and some of them understand that. Um, it could also actually come from the mission statements that they already have. So we've mentioned ESG investors. We've mentioned impact investors. They are already committed to non-harm or even positive change. Um, it's just aligned with what they do anyway. Um yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Thanks. I think, yeah, I see ESG investors as being a, a strong way forward there, as you say, of people who already are committed to 
companies that operate for good or at least company, companies that are limiting their harm was being able to yeah make a real difference as to where they're where they're putting their money and what they're doing with the the shares which they hold um so thank you yeah absolutely well we're, we're very nearly out of time so i just wanted to give you the floor is there anything that we've not covered which you would really like to touch on in the last minute or two of the of this podcast yeah so what we haven't one thing we haven't touched on is is the general public um it is highly important that people educate themselves about the risks of ai and what companies can do about them I think that AI is something that is drastically changing society. It needs to become a political debate issue like other issues. This is something that people should be asking for their representatives to speak about. Um, we do need public pressure. It starts with awareness. It starts with understanding. Um, and so I would encourage anyone who is hearing slash uh, seeing this to just do one more thing, listen to one more podcast, read one more article. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, I think that that's a really good call to arms, Ravi. So thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure catching up with you again and chatting and uh, hope to see you again soon. You as well. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Getting Technology Right, Ethics and Technology Podcast with Dr. Kevin Macknish, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.